0: I'm Scott Paul, and this is the Manufacturing Report.
1: We're saying it's incredibly important if we're going to fight the climate crisis to scale up as quickly as possible. But we don't need to settle for a supply chain that is not rooted in American manufacturing.
0: President Biden has established ambitious climate targets in his Build Back Better agenda, stating that he aims to create a carbon pollution-free power sector by 2035, and a net zero emissions economy by no later than 2050. Now, achieving these goals will require transformation and places the United States at a critical inflection point. As America goes forward, it's vitally important that policymakers understand that a clean energy future and jobs for American workers go hand in hand if America gets its next moves right. Mike Williams, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, recently wrote a report that provides a roadmap for those next steps. My conversation with Mike next on the Manufacturing Report. I'm honored to be joined by Mike Williams. Mike is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress and the co-author of a recent report on uh, clean energy. Uh, titled uh, Creating a Domestic U.S. Supply Chain for Clean Energy Technology. Mike, welcome to the Manufacturing Report.
1: Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, we've known each other for a while, and you have had an illustrious career already before your recent posting at the uh, Center for American Progress. So just so our listeners know, tell us a bit about you and uh, how you came into this work.
1: Sure. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's it's great to be here. It's great to be with you. It has been quite a while. It's kind of crazy to think about that. Um, so currently, I'm sitting as a senior fellow with the Center for American Progress, focusing on um, environmental climate policies, but as how they intersect with uh, impacts on working people and specifically the labor movement. Uh, and this is because my previous work uh, line of work was a 12 year stint with the Blue Green Alliance, which is a national partnership of labor unions and environmental organizations. So spent a large chunk of my career at that intersection of the labor and environmental movement, trying to figure out how we move uh, policies to solve the climate crisis, to rebuild the middle class, to fight inequality in a way that works for working people. And so trying to do that here at CAP as well. And we are grateful
0: for your work uh, in that space. So, clean energy top of mind for a lot of policymakers these days, as well as obviously for the American people. And there is no shortage of like hot takes on what we need to do. But I'm curious about the impetus for your report. You know, I hear a lot, and and I'm I'm talking fossil fuels now. You know, there were there were certainly a lot of concerns about like getting in addition to climate concerns, like being dependent on like OPEC countries or Russia or some others for our energy sources. Yet when it comes to clean energy, I hear a lot of the developers say, it's important to scale up as quickly as possible and it doesn't make a difference where all this comes from. Um, You're saying, uh, hold on, that's not exactly the case.
1: We're saying it's incredibly important if we're going to fight the climate crisis to scale up as quickly as possible, but we don't need to settle for a supply chain that is not rooted in American manufacturing. Uh, we don't. It's a false choice. And so that's, that was the big crux uh, behind uh, this report that we put together. Basically laying out the point that we have an extraordinary opportunity right now with the potential movement of a huge amount of investment into clean energy to deploy these technologies to help us fight the climate crisis, make our air and water cleaner, as well as at the same time with the global clean energy industry growing, this is our moment to actually capture these supply chains and locate them here, bring parts and components back that had left, You know, the solar industry we used to produce a large amount of polysilicon that shifted overseas mainly to China. And so this is an opportunity for us to say, We need to deploy these technologies now, but we can do it in a way that brings that supply chain here and grows that supply chain here. Uh, It's our moment. So that was the crux of it. And and to your point about both economic and national security, that's one of our core, we have three core reasons that we put forward in the report for why it's so important. Uh, And that is uh, critical because if we're reliant on a supply chain that's not here, as we can see by the backup at the port of LA, as we can see by what happened in March and April of 2020, when we didn't have enough personal protective equipment, that when we have supply chains that are, are reliant on places that are outside of our shores, we are vulnerable. And so we can have that when it's the energy that we produce. the Whatever makes our cars and trains move, whatever heats our homes, we need to have the ability to produce those goods here. Like I'm
0: glad you mentioned security. Yeah, the report, I know that. You cite three main reasons to do this. Security is one of them. Uh, what are the other two, and and why are they
1: important as well? Yeah. So the first one we lay out is that <laughs> I, I don't think we need to tell you this, Scott, or your listeners. But uh, and and maybe this is new to you, Scott. You know, domestic manufacturing creates good jobs and uh, helps revitalize the middle class, or and helps contribute to a revitalized middle class. There is data and analysis after analysis that shows that. Manufacturing's impact on localized economies and the broader economy is fantastic. And so the investment in manufacturing, as well as an investment in technologies with a tie to sourcing manufacturing here, and that's that's a big part of what we're talking about, will help grow our economy, will help create high-quality jobs uh, for working people across this country. Uh, it's what President Biden talked about in his Build Back Agenda when he was campaigning, and since he's been elected. And so this is helping make that vision a reality. The second one is actually that if we locate our manufacturing supply chains here in the US, it helps us meet our climate goals and it helps us meet basic human rights and justice goals. So the climate piece of it is fairly straightforward. We look at the emissions associated with the production specifically, say we we look at steel. The United States steel industry on average produces goods that are less emissions intense than our biggest competitor, China, by a factor of upwards of two. So basically, we are twice as clean as the average ton of steel produced in China. So if we're going to actually meet our climate goals, we should look at the products and how they're made. The same goes with a number of other goods produced in in a number of other countries. So if we're going to be investing, especially if we're investing in a way that focuses on cleaning up our industries even further, uh, we really need to focus then on making sure those industries are strong and located here. And then the other part of that, the justice piece of it, there's there's some serious human rights abuses uh, up and down the supply chain within the clean energy industry, whether it's cobalt mining in the Congo, whether it's prison labor in the Uyghur region in China. There are serious problems that our taxpayer dollars should not go to fund. And so we should meet that commitment to show that we care about human rights and dignity. And so that's also part of it. So a question for you then, because
0: all of these are important rationales. We are so far behind the curve in terms of like our global market share of these industries or having some of the demand side incentives for everything from... EVs to renewable energy. I mean, how how do we get this done? It it occurs to me that there were probably things other than market forces that left us with a paucity of domestic capabilities to manufacture this stuff in the first place. That there were other countries that deployed subsidies or had the uh, demand side incentives there for both consumers and utilities and energy generation. Uh, but what's the way we get there? How can we
1: play catch-up and how can we do it quickly? Yeah, it's a critical question, Scott. Uh, and, to, and to that exact last point you made, we can uh, take lessons from the countries of China and Germany. They created in their own way an industrial policy when it comes to clean energy. China directly invested in their industry, put poured money into RD&D, and then they also performed uh, some illegal dumping as part of that. We don't want to do that. Germany poured a lot of money into research, development, and deployment, set up direct purchasing of goods, and really built up the industry and invested it in it early on. They also have a a bit of a captured marketplace with the European Union, right? So, But we're we're our own uh, beast, and there's benefits that come from that. We are a, a big player in the global marketplace. It's just that, Scott, we've never directly invested in the manufacturing of the supply chain of clean energy. And similarly, we have not had consistent deployment policies of clean energy. I mean, really, truly consistent. Long-term, this is how it's going to move. We don't have a long-term national renewable electricity standard. We haven't had long, long long-term tax package that could really drive this industry. And then Associated with that, had we had those things, we haven't had the domestic content requirements, though the Buy American standards, attached to those, those funding pieces. So we haven't had any of those three things. We've had variable amounts of funding for research, development, and deployment. We've had states putting forward renewable and clean energy standards. We've had the federal government putting forward tax packages for clean energy deployment that have gone boom and bust over the last 15 years. They've, last number of years, have more of a consistent, stable setting, which actually has been a big part of the drive of clean energy deployment. But now, to your exact question, Scott, we have an opportunity, specifically with President Biden's Build Back Better agenda, to set the stage for direct investment in clean energy manufacturing, for direct investment and direct deployment incentives for clean energy, and then to tie to those incentives, domestic content standards. Saying if you're going to spend those dollars to deploy clean energy projects, you're going to use goods that are made in America. So it's those three pieces. And actually, specifically in the Build Back Better agenda that I can talk to you about a specific policy package, it's the tax credit package. It's actually one of the biggest drivers of emissions reductions. Uh, this 10-year extension of clean energy projects, clean energy tax credits, wind, solar, offshore, onshore wind, and a number of other technologies are, are part of that as well as an electric vehicle package. But I'll set that one aside for a moment. On the clean energy piece, it creates this long-term incentive that says 10 years that they're gonna be able to get this, this tax credit. And it allows them to use a direct pay option, which means they don't have to go to Wall Street if they don't have tax equity. That's pretty huge and it's pretty important. And especially if you are perhaps like me and slightly distrustful of Wall Street. But then if they wanna use that direct pay portion in about four years, They're going to have to purchase the goods that make those clean energy projects in America. They're going to to be built here. The iron and steel is going to to be built here. And then 55% of the product, aside from the iron and steel, are going to to be made here. That's huge. That's huge. So the big driver of clean energy production and clean energy deployment is going to have these strong standards attached to it. This could, and I think should, and will be a complete game changer for clean energy manufacturing in the U.S.,
0: it sounds that way, Mike. So as we look at the policy crystal ball, and admittedly, it's a bit foggy right now, but we do know that there is a great deal of alignment around uh, some of these goals. You know, I, I can certainly speak to the administration's approach on procurement. That is like direct federal spending, that there's a commitment for made in America there that would expand beyond uh, the traditional scope. Of by America by American, and so I'm wondering with respect to these private sector incentives, who is driving them on capital kill, and have they been able to attract bipartisan support, which may be necessary to get some of these across the finish line?
1: I don't know if it's been bipartisan, Scott. So, but it has pretty broad support. Uh, I know that that domestic content provisions has support everybody from Bernie Sanders to Josh Hawley <laughs> who are quite far apart on the political spectrum. Right. Uh, and, and so that that is promising in and of itself. For this speci- these specific provisions, they are obviously built into President Biden's build back better agenda. That has sadly become a partisan discussion though domestic content standards attached to clean energy has been bipartisan. There has been support for it. But specifically for folks thinking about this piece of policy and this legislation that's moving, it's got a lot of legs to it. The Senate Finance Committee, so the chairman put forward a markup of of the package in the Senate and included robust provisions that laid out exactly as, as I discussed. Same with the House Ways and Means Committee and full support Uh, So it seems as though across the Democratic caucus uh, that these provisions have support. As we've seen in the news every hour, you know, one senator could certainly throw this up in the air. We don't know where things are going to land. Somebody may raise an objection. I don't think that will happen on this. Uh, There seems to be support, wide-ranging support for this, but you never know. You truly never know. And I don't want to claim to know what's in the mind of of each United States senator, I think that would make me uh, a little bit insane.
0: <laughs> right, right. And that's not why we have you on, Mike, just saying. So, yeah, exactly. So, it seems to me that from a public opinion perspective or a voter perspective, the idea of ensuring that our energy future is made in America should have a great deal of appeal. I know that when we've talked to voters in the past about their feelings about American manufacturing. It's like, you know, mom and apple pie, basically.
1: It's exactly right. When you look at polling, this is not a partisan issue. This is supported by Republicans, by Democrats, by independents across the board. It's actually the same exact thing with clean energy deployment, Scott. So when we put these two together, exactly, mom, apple pie, puppies, kittens, clean energy deployment and clean energy manufacturing, it's all there. And so I think this is something that We need to get over the finish line now. And then once it's sold and we start putting it forward to the American public, meaning sold in terms of selling it to the American public, folks will see this and will be completely supportive, especially, you know, we're talking about bringing back domestic manufacturing to places where it hasn't been. So, you know, it's, it's, we want to see more and more stories of that. There's so much more that we will need to do to keep the pressure on and to build these industries and to ensure that the parts and components are made here and that working people are lifted up as we fight the climate crisis and fight against economic inequality. We just did an event just earlier today, Scott, with Mike Lux who wrote the report, Factory Towns. Sure. and The whole crux of it is that deindustrialization in the heartland has been a driving force of disassociation with the political system and being willing to just throw up your hands and say, everything's corrupt, this is all a failure. And they people have every right to feel that way. And so this hopefully can be a driving force to start to turn the tide on not only that perception, but that reality and actually start to source new manufacturing facilities, let alone strengthening the existing manufacturing facilities. You know, seeing that Cleveland Cliffs, Burns Harbor is supplying the steel to go to these giant offshore wind projects off of Maryland, say, or that Dow Chemical in Michigan is supplying critical components to solar panels. That is a story that America needs and it needs now. And it's something, to your point, is supported across the board. Mike, one last question
0: for you. And I think you touched on something with the success that China and Germany have had, albeit with kind of radically different paths, is that the private sector and others, one of the ironclad rules of economics is they respond to incentives uh, that, that are well-designed because Germany doesn't have a comparative advantage from a solar power perspective in either sunshine or latitude. So it seems to me that this could meet with some success in the private sector.
1: Sure can, it sure can, it already is, Scott. So a number of states in our country are have already put forward incentives the state I live in, this great state of Maine, we are, uh, we're rather, uh, you know, far north. Uh, We don't get as nearly as much sun as say Nevada or Arizona. Uh, We have some pretty strong solar standards in place. And we have a couple companies that are growing rapidly uh, because of it. And so there is is a huge potential for private sector investment and private sector gain here. The, The thing I would toss in there as well is that one of the the, the key parts of the Build Back Better agenda again is to make sure that those gains in the private sector are spread throughout the workforce. And so that we ensure that workers have a right to collectively bargain, um, that they are treated well uh, on the job, and so that it really impacts everybody from the C-suite down to the construction site. And it's something where if we craft this the right way, it'll happen.
0: Couldn't agree more, Mike. Mike Williams senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Scott. As always, it's a pleasure.
0: And that will do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. To learn more about the Center for American Progress and Mike Williams' report, visit AmericanProgress.org. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Kat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible. And I'd like to also thank you, the listeners, for engaging with us and for giving us some great episode ideas. Please be sure to subscribe to The Manufacturing Report on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts and do us a favor by leaving a review and a rating. You can find us online at americanmanufacturing.org. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and you can connect with us on Twitter at KeepItMadeInUSA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together, we can keep it made in America.